If you're studying the book of Joshua, we've got some good resources. Victorious Christian Living, Alan Redpath. Uh, Joshua and the Flow of Biblical History, Francis Schaeffer. And then uh, Joshua, a series of sermons by Dr. Frank Barker, our pastor back in Birmingham. And it's from that latter that we're going to take some of our ideas this morning. Now, today, I want to ask you a question to begin. Are you facing any obstacles in the path of that which you think God would have you to do? Perhaps some obstacles left over from last year. Maybe some brand new obstacles in this new year. Today in chapter 3 in Joshua, the Israelites come to a brand new formidable obstacle that they have never faced before. It's the Jordan River. And if you're looking in chapter 3, you're going to see Joshua tells them exactly what they need to do to deal with this obstacle. The Jordan River flows up to 10 miles an hour. By contrast, the Mississippi River at New Orleans is flowing about 3 miles an hour. It can be 100 feet wide up to a half mile wide in flood stage. And it has rapids and cascades, so you can imagine two million people who have come to this natural barrier to the promised land wondering how they're going to get across this obstacle. We know from our last lesson on the unchanging factors that it's the power of God and the supernatural leader. But today we want to look at this passage and see if we can draw some personal application. Warren Wiersbe has an excellent outline of what's going on in this chapter. Verse 5, the people sanctified. Verse 7, Joshua magnified before the people. Verse 10, the Lord glorified. And verse 16, the word of the Lord verified. We won't be using that particular outline, but if you're looking through the chapter, that's a good one to follow. Now, the Israelites have faced a number of obstacles in the wilderness, but now we come to a new one. The last phrase in verse 4 says, You have not passed this way before. Is your obstacle one like that? One that you've never faced before? Maybe it has to do with family or relationships, perhaps with work or business, maybe with finances. There are all kinds of obstacles out there. And this was the one that the Israelites were facing at this time. This is going to be a test. This is a new generation now. Are we going to trust the Lord? Yvonne and I faced a new obstacle in our early married life. Uh, You remember I've shared that we left the family business and we went into full-time Christian work. The experience as youth director didn't last very long before I started teaching in the Christian school. Excuse me. When we left the business, that was a salary cut of about half, and then we started when we started teaching in the school, that was another salary cut. So we had a problem. We needed a house that didn't have two mortgages on it, and I had decided that I wanted Yvonne to be at home and be a wife and mother instead of being out working. Now that's an obstacle on a salary of less than ten thousand dollars a year. School teachers didn't earn a lot of money back in those days. So let's look at God's advice to Joshua 
to help him in this business of overcoming obstacles. And then let's see if we can draw some principles from that. We're in Joshua chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, he and all the sons of Israel, and set out from Shittim and came to Jordan. And they lodged there before they crossed. And it came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Here is our first principle. Move toward the obstacle, trusting God that He will do what He promised to do. Now, we remember what God had promised to do way back in Joshua 1, when He promised Joshua that no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may be successful, have success wherever you go. And then we noted that the writer of the Hebrews gives that very same promise to Christians. That's to us. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? In other words, man is not going to be able to hurt you any further than God would allow that to happen. Move toward the obstacle. Let's say that you need to get a job and you're praying for a good one. But in, a mean, in the meantime, you're talking with everyone. You're combing the want ads. You're polishing up your resume and distributing it all over town. You're evaluating yourself, maybe taking some tests to see what you do best and what you like to do. You're reading books. You're looking at articles on the Internet. You're talking with people who are in that career field to see what advice they would give you in terms of education, preparation, whatever else you might need. And you're talking with people who know you well to ask what they think would be a good job for you and if you'd be able to do the selected one to attain success in life. You might even take a job that would provide some on-the-job training to prepare you for the one you really want. You're moving toward that obstacle of getting a job. Here's what comes next. <coughs> Excuse me. Use the means God has provided for guidance and grace. Now, He provided for the Israelites the means of the Ark of the Covenant that would go on before them. That represented the Lord. I think it probably represented the captain of the Lord's host. Christ that we see in chapter 5 coming to talk with Joshua. But the ark symbolizing God's presence goes before them and the Levitical priesthood who are carrying the ark. They're the ones God had appointed to represent the people with God. So the people are following the guidance 
that they have been given. Now, they get some further instruction in verse 4. However, there shall be between you and it, the ark, a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Why would God say there needed to be a distance of a thousand yards between the priest and the ark and the people? Well, I think there's a simple reason for that. That would be so that two million people could see what God was doing down in the river. And they wouldn't be all crowded around at the front like we are at the pie contest so that the people in the back can't see. God wants everybody to see this amazing miracle that the priests are going to be standing in the middle of the river with the ark on dry ground. Now some Bible scholars have said, well, maybe there was a mudslide way up the river and uh, for that reason the water was stopped and then the people could go across. But the Jordan is known as a muddy river. And if there's a mudslide, there's going to be even more mud. And if there's mud, they're not going to be standing on dry ground. They're going to be standing in the mud. Now see, there's a difference in the way people see God's foreknowledge. Some people would see foreknowledge the way the Bible presents it, that God has ordained that this river is going to part at a certain time. Other people would say God's a divine fortune teller and He knew there was going to be a mudslide, so He just timed the timing to tell Joshua to get there right at the time of the mudslide. That's not God. He's in control of all things. He plans it. He does it. He can part the waters as easily as He can coordinate the times of a mudslide. And I believe He did part the waters. Well, there are the people and they're able to see what God is doing and they have a choice, just like we saw the tribes that didn't want to go into the land. Are they going to follow the priest? Or are they going to move across the river? And in this case, they do. Now you might say, well, if we had the Ark of the Covenant, and we had the priest, and we could see that river parted, then it'd be pretty easy for us to trust the Lord too. But do you know we have so much more than they had? We walk by faith not by sight. We have the completed Word of God. We have prayer to a covenant-keeping God. We have the resurrected Christ and His completed work. We have Holy Spirit power from Pentecost. Here's the next thing. Be certain that there's no sin in your life that has not been remedied according to Scripture. Things like asking forgiveness, making restitution, getting rid of bitterness. Now we had a lesson on uh, waiting on the Lord. And you remember we talked about uh, the sanctification process for Israel. And we talked about external cleansing under the Mosaic Law. But then we talked about the true internal cleansing in the heart. And we said it's the internal cleansing that is by far the most important. One day I was sitting in chapel as I was teaching in a Christian school and my friend Pete McKenzie was giving the chapel lesson, the Bible lesson. Uh, Pete was a former professional baseball player who gave up a career to work with young people and he was the principal of our school. 
And he said that morning, if there's some sin in your life that you haven't dealt with, then you can't reach your full potential that the Lord has in store for you. And he went on to talk about making things right for whatever you may have done, even like Zacchaeus went back and gave the money to those from whom he had wrongfully taken it. And at that moment, I thought about 15 years earlier when I was in high school. Now, I had the external cleansing down pretty good. In fact, uh, it was so good that I got a medal from my school. And it says, uh, honor, leadership, scholarship. It should have said showmanship because that was what I was really good at, the outward appearance. I had a secret life that no one at church and very few people at school knew about. And let me encourage you young people here today, if you have a secret life on the internet or wherever it may be, if you're a Christian, one day you're going to really regret that. Because I regretted it. And I'll tell you what happened. I ran around with some guys who were stealing. Stealing. They stole some things. And I stole some things. Now, we would never steal money because that would be breaking the Ten Commandments. That would be stealing. And uh, we would take things that we knew nobody really needed. Like a football and a jersey from the athletic department like uh, going to a drive-in movie and putting some guys in the trunk and driving into the back row and sneaking them out of the trunk before they started banging on the uh, hood there. And uh, like uh, various things that we would come up with that we didn't think would be hurting anyone. I remember we used to go to college football games and we would acquire one ticket to the game at Jackson Memorial Stadium. And the first guy that had the ticket would go into the ticket taker, give him the ticket, tear it, give him the stub. He would go in, go up to the top row of the stadium in between gates, and on a prearranged signal, he would sail that stub over the edge to the waiting arms of the next guy down below. And then the next guy would take the ticket, go back to the gate, thousands of people coming in and say, Oh, I'm the guy that had to go out to my car and here's my stuff and go right in. And it worked like a charm, but it was dishonest. Now, lest you think I would be contributing to the delinquency of minors this morning, they don't do it that way anymore. And you can't do that at all. So I came home from school that day and I was really convicted. I was the Bible teacher. I must have been 31 years old at that time with a wife and family. But I hadn't been convicted of that before. So I said, okay, Lord, I don't want there to be any barrier to dealing with the obstacle of trying to get a house, trying to be able to continue teaching, trying to make financial ends meet. I don't want there to be any obstacle to your blessing in my life. So I know I've got to deal with this. So I sat down and I made a list of everything that I had ever been a part of uh, with that group of, of guys. And I remember one day in Biloxi, Mississippi, I was in the car with a bunch of guys, and we drove past Beauvoir, 
That would be Jefferson Davis Memorial Home right on the beach, right on busy Highway 90. And right there in front of his home, there was a flagpole. And on that flag was the biggest, on that pole was the biggest Confederate flag that you ever saw, besides the one that the Ole Miss band had that was as big as a football field. Now, uh, in those days in Mississippi, the Confederate flag was kind of a cultural icon that represented independence, kind of like the Texas Lone Star flag. So we looked at that flag and we said, you know, we need that flag. So we drove back around, came by. There was a little inset off the highway. We parked the car. One guy got out, lowered the flag down, cars passing on the highway. And he got the flag, got hold of the flag, but the rope was stuck to the pole. So he jumped in the car with the flag, slammed the door on the rope, and we took off. And the flagpole went like a fishing pole when it finally broke, and we were trailing about 50 feet of rope down the highway, dodging cars. We were absolutely crazy. I couldn't believe, as I looked back from an adult perspective, I couldn't believe the things that were on my list. And the list amounted to about $500. That was a huge amount of money in that day. But I knew I had to deal with what I'd done because I wanted the blessing. By that time, I had seen guys who were following the Lord and had His blessing. And I'd seen other guys who were going a different direction who maybe didn't know the Lord and just were religious or whatever. And I knew which group I wanted to be a part of. So I began to do some extra work and save the money. And finally, I saved enough and I sent some letters to some athletic departments of several schools in the Southeastern Conference. And I said, Dear Sir, the purpose of this letter is to try to settle an old debt with your athletic department. About 12 years ago, I attended several college football games at your stadium illegally, that is, without paying for a ticket. Since that time, I've made a commitment in my life to Jesus Christ and to live according to His teachings as found in the Bible. In view of this decision, I have come to regard my aforementioned act of stealing as stealing and would seek to make restitution to your school in the amount of X amount of dollars, the amount of the enclosed check. Please forgive me for having been dishonest for so many years regarding this matter. Do you know how hard that is to do? That is terrible to have to go back and, and to say it in person. I, I took a trip all over Mississippi and I went back to my hometown, I went back to Biloxi, and I talked to the curator of the museum there at Bouvoir. And I said, um, about 15 years ago, I was with some guys and we stole your flag. And since that time, I've committed my life to Christ. And I see all that time, I was going to church three times a week, doing everything, going to the revivals. I would have said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I had a secret life. And so I told the guy, I've committed my life to Christ. And I see now that that is wrong, and I want to make it right. I want to pay for your flag. $50 was a good bit of money back in those days. He said, well, I'll give you a receipt for a tax-deductible contribution. I said, I'm not really interested in any contribution. I just want to make it right. It was interesting, the response that uh, people had, because I told everybody the same thing everywhere I went. Some thought it was uh, kind of a joke, a boys will be boys thing. Others were embarrassed and didn't want to talk about it. 
and some thought it was a good thing. But it was serious business to me. And it was about the most difficult thing that I ever had tried to do at that time. Going back to admit, as an adult, what I had done when I was a young adult. Nevertheless, the cleansing had to take place before I could overcome the obstacle. Now, there were the phase one instructions. Move toward the obstacle. Move down toward the river following the priest. Use the means God has provided, the ark and the priest in that case, the living word and the written word in our case. Sanctify yourselves. God is looking for clean vessels. So the people did everything Joshua told them to do. That's important. Now, listen to this. If you follow the light, you get more light. Ignore the light and your day turns to night. Follow the light, you get more light. Ignore the light, your day turns to night. And you can't see things as they are. So, the people uh, were serious about doing what uh, Joshua had told them to do. And we have to be serious about doing what God told us to do if we're going to get the next step in whatever God is doing. And you've probably noticed that God works in stages. He works in phases. And we've seen phase one. Here is phase two coming up. Phase two, move in and tackle the obstacle. That means get ready to do what God has shown you to do, even if you don't know how you're going to do it. Move in closer. Get ready to tackle the obstacle. That will require faith. Now, it helps if you're surrounded by people who believe that God is in the obstacle, God is up to something in this obstacle, and God is absolutely up to something good in this obstacle. If you have people who believe Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good, that's going to help you. And Yvonne and I were surrounded at that time with people who absolutely believed that. So, you've got to be able to walk in faith. Follow the light you've been given. Follow the priest and the ark down to the river. Don't worry that it's flowing too rapidly. Don't be anxious that the river's at flood stage and you're at the widest point and you can't swim. None of those people could swim. When would they ever have learned and where how to swim? Out in the wilderness. The priest couldn't swim. Would you have liked to have been one of those priests? Now here's what you need to do. March right down to the river carrying the ark. Step in the river. And when you step in the river, God's going to take care of everything. And these guys are marching down and they get a little closer and a little closer. Nothing's happening. That water's running pretty rapidly. And then they get right to the river. And they've got to put their foot in that water. And they know unless something very unusual happens, they're just going to be swept on down with the flow of the river. But they're willing to be obedient because they have faith. Here's the next thing that they've been willing to do. Stand on the promises. Now you've already heard God's promise to Joshua when he took command in chapter 3. Here's what God says is going to happen. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Hittite, 
the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Now, there's the promise right there. He's going to dispossess all these enemy nations, and the first step is going to be getting across the river into their territory. He goes on, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into Jordan. Now then take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe, and it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap. Now there's the picture of the promise. And many times in life, God will give us a picture of what He's seeking to do. He tells them what He's going to do. And then here's the picture. The waters are going to be cut off and you're going to march right over on dry ground. And if I can do that, I can do anything. I can knock down these walled cities. I can conquer any obstacle in your path. So, for us, we're not fighting any Canaanites. But we have some enemies too. So we could say God will surely dispossess from before you pride, hypocrisy, lust, anger, deceit, idolatry, covetousness. These would be our enemies plus a few more thoughts and acts of unrighteousness that the enemy of our souls would try to get us thinking about down inside. Thinking about it so we would do it. Number C, number three. Expect God to move the obstacle based on His promises. Do we have any specific promises in the Bible to help us walk in faith? Say yes. Yes, we really do, don't we? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do we have any specific promises in Scripture with regard to the financial situation of my school teaching job? Yes, we do. Malachi 3.10 Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Yeah, but that's the Old Testament. Right, but that's the same God. And then the New Testament. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over shall men pour into your lap. Yeah, but how about some refrigerator and clothes closet promises? Well, we've got that too. Matthew six twenty five. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Skipping down to verse 32, For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Maybe not everything that you want right now, but everything that you need. Claim the promises. Trust God to fulfill them. Now, Yvonne and I had a nice house in Birmingham. Nice subdivision. In fact, we had the corner lot, and the lot next door kind of tapered off down to the highway, and you couldn't build a house on it. So we haven't had a place to play right next door. But we had a mortgage on that house that was pretty heavy. And beside that, we had a side note on the house that fluctuated every month with the prime rate. 
and I had to go down to the bank and sign a note every month, and that was heavy. So Yvonne and I decided, you know, we're going to start praying for a debt-free home because if we're going to te- keep teaching school, that's the only way we're going to survive. We can't pay this house note every month. So I decided to move in and tackle the obstacle. I picked up the telephone. I called a guy in my church. I said, would you like to buy this house? He said, I certainly would, and don't let anybody else get it before I get there. Right on the telephone. And in just a short time, the deal was sealed, and we were moving out. And we were out of debt. Hallelujah. But we had some other debt. We had to take the money we got from the house and pay that off. And so we didn't have any money, but we didn't have any debt. We stayed for a while in a friend's basement of his house, a large house. And then we got into a little bitty apartment down on the south side of Birmingham. That was a very interesting experience for our family. God wanted to see if we really meant business. Then one day, as we continued to pray, a father of one of my students called up and said, Look, we're building a new house out here on a farm, 27-acre farm on the outskirts of town. And there's a farmhouse on that place. And we wonder if you'd like to come and live in that farmhouse and take care of a few horses and just be there while we're doing the construction work. It was a beautiful farmhouse. It was a great place for children. And it was the perfect transition from the city to the country. And we stayed there for three years. Now, I don't have time to tell you about the amazing provision of God's miracles that He did with regard to providing some property, providing some building materials, providing an architect, providing a builder, and providing a debt-free home. Now, that didn't happen all at once, but it did happen as we trusted God for the next step of whatever He wanted to do in our lives. And I was able to continue teaching school for 14 years before we founded Bible Teaching Ministries. So God was uh, accomplishing in our lives some very remarkable things. And sometime we can talk about that, but right now we need to finish. This is verse 15 toward the end of the chapter. And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priest carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks in the days of the harvest, that the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city that is by Zarethan, and those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. There's the word verified. And the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished Crossing the Jordan. Well, Christ, represented by that ark, goes before us into the water, into the obstacle. And then He's there waiting until we all cross over. And then as He was with Moses, He's guarding the rear as the Egyptians are chasing down after them into the water. Christ will never leave you or forsake you. Now we might say, well, this is pretty good for uh, Joshua and pretty good for Luke and Sarah and people in the ministry. But what about ordinary folks like 
the rest of us. Most of you have heard of Hudson Taylor, founder of China Inland Mission. He once said, All God's giants have been ordinary men who did great things for God, but because they reckoned on God being with them. Who wants to take God at His word? Because if you do, He works for you the same way He worked for Moses and Joshua and Bill Bright and everybody else. In 1972, Yvonne and I attended a conference with Campus Crusade for Christ at their headwaters in the San Bernardino Mountains in California. You remember Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade. And we had a glorious time there back in 1940. That uh, resort uh, hotel was built and movie stars used to go there. But then that kind of phased out after the war. And by 1961, the Arrowhead Springs Hotel and Resort was on the market for $2 million. And Bill Bright visited the place and he thought this would be the perfect site for the ministry. And people could come here and students could come and folks could come from all over the world and we could really use this place. And he said that one day God didn't speak in an audible voice, but it was almost like it came on the intercom. This is the place I want to have for you. But there was one obstacle. Bill Bright didn't have any money. And so he contacted people from all over the place, asking them for help. And he contacted Walter Judd, a former congressman, former missionary to Japan, and asked him to come and help dedicate the place to the Lord. So he did, and a driller from San Bernardino offered to lend a drilling rig to try to solve the water problem. He would loan them this rig for a week. Now, in that area, you had to really go deep to find any water, if you found any at all. So Walter Judd was praying, dedicating the place to the Lord. The man ran in and announced, we've struck water, hallelujah. Move in and tackle the obstacle. Expect God to act in accord with His promises that He's applied to your life. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So this morning, are you walking in the light? Has God shown you anything that you should do, but you've said, well, not right now. I need to wait until I have the time and the money and the energy and the information and the motivation and the whatever, whatever else we need, inspiration. Uh, one day, I will be with Christ. And I envision that He would be showing me around heaven. And we come to a room that looks like uh, an architect's room. And there are a lot of plans stacked on the table there. And Jesus said, uh, Bob, you see this plan right here? This is the plan that I had for you in high school. But you were busy uh, stealing things. And then he picks up another plan and he says, uh, this is the plan I had for you in another season of your life, but you made this decision and you were doing these things and you missed my best for you. And so forth, he goes through the plans of what could have been, but what uh, didn't happen. Now, that's a very sad thought, isn't it? Except for you young people. Now, you young people can look for God's best 
and apply it under the tutelage and supervision of your parents. And you don't have to look back and say, oh, I wish I hadn't made that decision or wasted that time. You've got the opportunity. Now let's get a quick review before we conclude. Phase one, move toward the obstacle, trusting God to do what He promised to do. Now you've got to be sure from last Sunday's lesson that God has put the Word in your mind. And you know the ways to check that out. Use the means God has provided for His guidance and grace. Be certain there's no sin in your life that has not been remedied according to Scripture. See, a lot of times we think, well, God's forgiven me, here we go. But there may be some other things that need to be taken care of. Phase two, second phase, move in, tackle the obstacle. Walk in faith, follow the light you've been given, stand on the promises, claim the promises, get the little God's promises book and start going through it. And then expect God to move the obstacle based on His promises. Now, for whatever you have done or haven't done in the past, I believe God is waiting on you this morning to exercise your faith. Step in the water, claim the promises, trust that He will move the obstacle. Is there anything in your life that needs attention, that needs repentance or restitution? If so, do it without delay. No need to have a barrier to God's blessing in your life. And if you're not sure that you have a covenant relationship with the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today would be the day to commit your life to Him and mean business about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these amazing stories in the Old Testament, these accounts of Your work in the lives of Your covenant people. But we thank You even more for what You have done in the New Testament and for the exciting business of changed lives. Lord, we want our lives to be changed, to be like Christ. And we want to uh, have a clear channel for Your blessing. We want Your best. I pray for young people here this morning that they would want your best, that there would not be some secret life that they would carry on that they know that you would not be pleased with, their parents would not be pleased with. I pray, Lord, that uh, others might profit from those of us who have made mistakes in life and those of us who have even uh, rebelled at times. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that uh, you have cleared the roads that we could be here this morning. And Lord, we commit uh, these thoughts to You and pray that You would bring them to fruition in our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Well, before we go, you might have um, some thought about what we've said. And I would have one question. And that is, what if God doesn't remove the obstacle? What do you do then? well then you know that God has a purpose in keeping that obstacle there and He's going to use it in the lives of many others. He's going to use it as testimony. Brian Murphy and I were talking uh, last night about Job. Job was a righteous man. 
he had some big time obstacles that the devil was allowed to bring in his life. Took all his wealth, family, his health, big time obstacles. But God had a purpose in that. And I don't know all the purposes, but I know of one purpose. Millions of people have read the account of Job's life in all these years since Job. He lived back at the time of the patriarchs. And they have taken courage that we live in a world that's under a curse of sin. Bad things are going to happen. But God is in control of those things. And God has a purpose even in suffering. And one of those purposes is to draw us into fellowship with the suffering of Christ. So if you are suffering, be sure that you have the right perspective and right attitude. We don't want to be suffering for pride's sake. We don't want to be suffering for stupidity's sake. If we have to suffer, we want to be suffering for righteousness' sake. So if God doesn't move the obstacle, He has a purpose in that. And He may move it later on, and He may give you the grace to stay with that obstacle for the whole ride, just like He did with Paul, who had that thorn in the flesh.